Okay, so this one's going to be a little bit different. Um, we're not going to go with time periods. We're, we're going to be able to bounce around wherever, but um, I'll read some of these questions and see what stories come along with them. So, <clears throat> um, how would people who know you well describe you? Well, they would probably say that uh, uh, I probably wasn't aggressive enough, that uh, I probably, they probably think that I could have done more with my life if I would have uh, been more intense in what I learned, and, and uh, they would think me as, uh, I would like to think that they would think me as a good friend, uh, helpful, and that I could, they could count on me whenever they needed me. Is there a compliment that you remember someone giving you that you won't forget? Hmm. That's not in my mind right now. Did you have a mentor growing up that you looked up to? I, I, I would say probably um, one of my coaches. Um, I, the one that I looked up to probably the most was, uh, his name was Cornelius Warmerdam, and he held the world record in the pole vault at the time. But he showed me that even though you could be famous, you didn't have to show everybody that you were. He was probably the most, uh, uh, the mo a person that, that was, uh, boy, I can't think of the word that I'm, I'm wanting to give him. He was very full of character. Humble. He he had he had humility. Really, that's that's probably the best word I can. And uh, nobody nobody knew just looking at him that he was a world champion. Or when he c coached you, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a uh, superior attitude. You know. And he made you feel like uh, he, you were, you know, just uh, in a plane with him. But boy, he was so much above everybody. But um, he didn't. He didn't have. He was. He was tough as far as uh, his coaching ability. But he didn't have it. Had the attitude that he was so superior to you. You know. What are, what are some of the things that you think you carried from him into the rest of your life? Well, I, th I think I, I learned from him that, that um, you, you could never, you could, regardless what you did, uh, and, and as long as you did the best you could, you know, uh, that 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 that's all could be expected of you, but that you would never get to the point where you thought you were so good that that you showed people that you know that you were. And uh, when when I was with him, I always felt so humbled that that 
here this great man was nothing and and he would sit by you like uh, you know you were a great friend we had a we had gone to a, a track meet in Modesto it was a big meet and uh, he j he took a shot putter and me and then uh, uh, those those days you had afternoon meet and evening meet and uh, between the afternoon and evening he took us to the to the uh, park and we sat down and and of course uh, Fresno State had pretty flashy warm-up uniforms you know so they were pretty outstanding and we were the three of us were sitting on the lawn and a young boy maybe 12 years old came up and asked me for my autograph and I was so embarrassed here's <laughs> here, here's the man sitting next to me that held the world record in pole vault and <laughs> And I said, oh, I can't do that. And I said, do you know who this gentleman is? And I explained who he was. And, uh, and the kid just hands me the book, you know. And Dutch says, sign it, sign it. And I thought <laughs> he could get an autograph that he could cherish the rest of his life. And he, he's missing the opportunity. But that's the way Dutch was. He, You know, he could have said, well, you know, this is my my uh, uh, student uh, and uh, you know I, I I've been around and and uh, but that's that's kind of something I learned that boy I thought you know you can there's no possible way I could ever get to that point where I'd be good enough to call myself good and here's a man that was good and never never called himself good so that was that was really impressive to me. I carried that through, you know, and I try to pass it on to everybody I know. And it to this today to, to this day it still irritates me when someone that's uh, maybe mediocre or, or or think they're good, and then they they have the attitude that they, uh, you know they want everybody to know it, and I I call it. <laughs> I always have that. I call it an e ego. They're on an ego trip, you know, and, and uh, I don't. I don't appreciate uh, people that are, are are trying to express to other people how good they really are. When when uh, uh, I saw what what really good was. <coughs> so you called him Dutch. Was yeah, he, he was. He was. Um, uh, he was a, 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 what is that D Dutch? What are Dutch? <laughs> what are Dutch? Anyway, he was uh, hmm. like German. Pardon me. German, maybe. No, uh, Holland. You know the people from Holland. They were Dutch, and and he was of that ancestry, and so everybody that he was always known as Dutch. Uh, you never, you never heard the name Cornelius, but that was his name. Cornelius Warmadam uh, was raised in Hanford, and he, his dad had in the backyard had some raising some bamboo, and he he cut himself a bamboo pole, and started his first vaulting by vaulting over his dad's fence, and that's that got him started. And he, of course, he was a champion high school and college, and and uh, he was actually out of college when he set the world records but he was here he came came back to his college you know 
he never forgot where his roots were, and he came back to coach at Fresno State. And uh, he, he, of course, he made he was um, of anybody made made Fresno put Fresno State on the map because he was he was um, a student there and uh, became the world champion and and uh, not too many small schools like like Fresno State could could say that they you know they had a had a world champion that went to the school are there any other stories around when you were in 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 college and high school playing sports that um, stand out to you that what that stand out to you Well, you know, it, it probably, I, I'd probably have to say it, I would think of, of uh, outstanding students or athletes in other schools, you know, because Fresno State was not a, a good athletic program, but um, I, I didn't realize there was a, a time when some of the professional athletes, we never had good athletic teams except boys had a good baseball team and there was, we had a record number of, of baseball players in front of the state that signed professional, and uh, there was only a few football players that ever signed professional from Fresno State. But um, yeah, I I, I, I recall uh, some of the the great. You know, I, I wouldn't have known uh, about so many of the uh, students except. In athletics, you know, and I'd I'd follow them. In fact, <laughs> a lot of them came came from friends, college. She went to USC. They they had they were one of the top schools uh, uh, academically and and uh, athletically. And uh, uh, I'd always I always knew the the names of the the people that uh, you know went there. They at at one time well. Just before she she got to USC, they had like three world champions at the school in track and field, and they they always won football, and, and they were they were nationally uh, you know uh, rated, and and their baseball was always nationally rated. Uh, the only thing they didn't do good in was basketball and everything else, but but they had quite a few um, eventual. CEOs of big companies that came out of out of USC. So I always, I certainly knew I never could go to that school, but I always uh, felt that it was a it was a top university. And never knowing that I was going to marry someone from that 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 university, um, I I think you know about that time was when the we started having the astronauts doing things, you know, and I. I remember uh, when they first uh, their first shot into space, and and then eventually they're landing on the moon, you know, and think that that was, and those individuals, even though I I can't name them right now, but they were they were always outstanding to me. Um, John Glenn. Yeah, John Glenn, the first first uh, I guess he was the first one landing on the moon. Uh, uh, he became a, a politician. Um, 
there was another one I can't think it became a politician anyway um, it was it was a time when they kind of took over the uh, the news uh, of the day and uh, that was always exciting to to think that we had men in our country that were as good as any other country of course you know we said before we were competing with Russia to to be the first in space and the first on the moon and and uh, we did it because we had uh, economical resources and and Russia did it because the people were starving but they put you know all their efforts into uh, out out uh, outmanning us in this space field um, there were a lot of um, uh, you know things that really don't come to my mind now and I'm sure when I go to bed tonight I'm going to say boy I should have said that okay. we can write them <laughs> down and we can talk about them later yeah. <clears throat> what would you say the best piece of advice you ever received was and who gave it to you best piece of advice I think you know I have to uh, I'd have to say that I I'd, I'd have to go back into the athletic field and I I think that um, Dutch Warmerdam always had pieces of advice that I would pick up on and it was it was to always treat your fellow man as as you would want to be treated yourself and and never uh, never think yourself better than anybody and uh, he gave me the the attitude that you're really you're really a good human if you can stoop over to help someone unfortunate than yourself and uh, I, I uh, you know, I, I, I guess I keep back, going back to Warmerdam because he was such an outstanding person, and, and, and like I said, he had so much humility that um, nobody even knew. He, walking around campus, you, you couldn't tell he was different than other people, but he certainly was. What would you say is the most character-defining event of your life? Hmm. <laughs> character-defining. I would say that that uh, you know when when. As, as now there was a, a lot of my friends weren't going to church and, and uh, uh, I, I think they most everybody knew there was a God but some didn't believe and some didn't uh, what, you know like I said some were agnostic some were atheists but but um, I, I always felt that uh, the, the church and 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 those who were were directed to lead us in church had something to do with 
building your character, you know, and, and knowing that you could uh, grow up and, and do do good things re, re, regardless of what your station in life was. Now, I always thought, well, being a farmer wasn't much of a contribution, but it, it turned out that, that uh, when all was through and said and done and it's had that many years in it, I found out that, yeah, that was a pretty good uh, pretty good occupation, you know, and the contribution I had. And uh, probably character building came to, uh, through work also, you know, and, and uh, the people you had to deal with. And, and it gave you uh, the character to know that people who were much less fortunate than you, and even though you thought you weren't, uh, you know, that, that you could treat them so that they would not think that you were trying to be a, uh, they have a word for it. And, and uh, uh, if, if they call you that, and it's, uh, it's, not a, it's not a praise, it's an insult. And so uh, I never wanted to be called the big boss, you know. And, and, uh, and so I think uh, by working with people that, that uh, had to work hard and scratch uh, a living out was, was helping in building my own character. You know what the name Donald means, right? Pardon me? You know what the name Donald means? I've never researched it. It means Big Chief. Oh, is that right? Why in the world they give me that name? <laughs> Big Chief. Whew. Well, see, there again, I, I would... I would have never. I hope. I hope that's not what, what it means in Mexican. Because <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, that's the uh, Italian mafia don. Sort of the oh yeah, don, don, the don, the don. Okay, I never, I never related it to that, but uh, yeah, thanks for reminding me. And I'm, I'm glad I didn't know it all the time. Or I would have probably buried my head in the sand. Anyway, um, yeah, it. it uh, I I think in in uh, uh, you're in a type of business where you meet a certain t uh, t type of people, a certain station life, and I I have been in the business where you meet uh, the lower class of people, and yet you can try to lift them up by uh, not tearing them down, and. Uh, I, I was so, I was always, I thought I was proud of, of never being called, you know, that, um, what, what are they called? The Gahana uh, is, the, is the big chief in, in Mexican, you know, and I never wanted to, and nobody ever uh -uh. did call me that. And uh, so uh, I, I think I must have done something right, you know, to, and uh, got some respect, and, and uh, I passed that on, I hope, to Darren. And he, he has a, a lot of respect from the workers because he, he treats them as human beings instead of being, being a, a, a product or anyway. Well, can you think back to the hardest thing that you've gone through? Well, I think 
I think personally, I had, I had, um, and I mentioned this before, I had uh, cut my legs with a cane cutter on a tractor, and that was one of, you know, that doesn't sound like a very emotional thing. It was a, it was to me that I had to go through and, and be laid up and, and uh, came so close to having my leg cut off and, and was was safe from that, you know, and that that was kind of hard to, to go through that. And and uh, when when Fran had the accident, that, that was that was even above that. I mean, that was really hard to to go through that that time. And and uh, until I got there and saw her not knowing whether she would live through the accident, that, w that was really a hard time. And, and, and there was probably a reason for that because um, up to that time she was in school and, and uh, she had to spend time. But then after that, and uh, I had her only finish out that year, I, she became a, a full-time farm wife. And uh, she actually got a compliment from a neighbor, uh, and not her directly, but it was told to me that the neighbor said, you know, um, I've been around girls, young ladies that have been raised on farms and became farm wives. And she, this individual said, I've never seen a a farmer's wife any better than Fran. Hmm. That was that that was really a compliment. What would you say one of your most proud moments is? Well, you know, it, in not not putting any of the other children down, but I guess I guess I'd have to say when we were Oregon and and uh, Deneen, our youngest one, uh, uh, made all American in, in track and field, and and we were there to see it. And I guess that we'd have to say that 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 had to be one of our proud moments, you know. Uh, never, never, ever dreaming that we'd have anybody that would uh, would attain that that status uh, at a at a university, and so um, um, you know I'd have to say that was. Now I can't think of any others, but like I said, I, uh, that's not putting the other children down, but but uh, that was one proud moment. Do you have a favorite quote or verse? <laughs> there goes that old guy again. I don't know. Uh, you know, there's there's things I've probably done that I, I wasn't proud of, but but uh, uh, when I would. Um, tell people how how proud I was to be a friend of theirs you know that that um, uh, uh, and and truly meant it that that uh, 
I don't know if you can say that would be a verse to be quoted, but I, I think we don't probably say it enough as some, how much our, our friends mean to us, you know. But um, uh, anyway. One of the thing, what's one of the things you value most in life? Well, my, of course, my, my marriage is, you have to be on the top of the list and, and, uh, and, and that a, a success only comes about when you have a have a, a, a successful spouse and a and a, a caring loving spouse who uh, who and especially when my wife Fran came into a, a situation and I'm sure she would have never ever dreamt she could have lived in. Uh, coming out of a, a, a city and thinking that farm products were, were, were all she knew about it was coming in out of the supermarket and then that she would eventually be be associated with it. So she made um, she made me very happy and proud and and uh, and I, I I I know that her contribution. Uh, is is the biggest part that's made these 65 years so memorable for me. What's your favorite way to make others feel loved or feel special? Maybe I'll have to repeat that again. What's your favorite way to make others feel loved or feel special? Well, you know, I... I am uh, regrettably have to admit I'm not a, a real loving person, and I guess uh, the only way I, I show it probably is to do things that probably uh, it, it, I wasn't expected to do. And uh, uh, I, I don't ever recall telling my children I loved them. Uh, I always just was there. I was there for him all the time, you know. And <laughs> you know, unfortunately, you know, I I hear parents saying "I love you" often, and I'm thinking, how come I don't say that, you know? But but um, I probably <laughs> maybe I love them as much or more than <laughs> the people that said it. I don't. know. <sighs> Is there one thing you wish you'd tried or experienced? Mm -hmm. That I, I should have tried. <laughs> There'd be so many that I couldn't even single anything out. Uh, right now, I'm a little, my mind is a little spinning around. Uh, 
Do you remember the best purchase you ever made and what made it so memorable? <laughs> you know, I, I this is really an odd thing to say, but but um, we got a car in in uh, 2010 that was the best car I've ever owned, and uh, I, I didn't know it at the time that it, it would be uh, the best car I ever owned. And, and of course, my my uh, children and grandchildren uh, knew the car and rode in it, and and uh, I'd got compliments in it wherever we traveled. We traveled a lot with that car. And uh, I, I would say it was a Lincoln MKT was was probably the it was a, a SUV. I would say it was kind of a sport SUV. It would it had the the uh, <laughs> you know and, and being a guy that liked had a heavy foot. I I oh boy, <laughs> I remember one time we were taking Deneen to church and. Um, the rest of the family had gone to church, and I had to pick up Deneen, and I said, uh, <laughs> crazy, I said, are you ready? You better put your head back because, <laughs> because we're going to go now. And boy, I tromped on it. She said, wow. You know, and, and I was, it, was, it was a proud moment to, sh to show that, you know, not only my family but other people that, boy, this was a car of cars. So... That was that was a purchase I thought was pretty. Otherwise, you know, as far as uh, uh, purchases on a ranch, of course, buying this ranch was was uh, turned out to be fruitful for the the whole family and and uh, kept them all together and and uh, we we ended up with three out of the five children living right here around us and. Uh, and that that probably and and I, I think the the third best thing was when we purchased our first cabin and it was big enough to have all of our families, uh, grandkids and and everybody with us uh, for special holidays, and uh, you know that this this was a this was a thing that was not only. For us, but we were—it was—we were fortunate to be able to share it with, with everybody who was, was meant anything to us. What would you say your favorite music is? Or do you have a favorite song? Well, you know, when my dad was, when I was young, my dad he loved to hear cowboy music and I was so bored with it and then it turned out to be that was that was probably my favorite music too not because of him but because uh, some of the music that was out when I was getting interest and things like that was not according to me was not appropriate and and this was always uh, down home you know and it was always sung by people who seemed like they were down home people and and you know uh, patriotic and so that uh, I kind of turned back to westerns and and western music do you have a favorite movie or any sort of films that you enjoy 
you know, when we were when we were first married, and we just moved back here here from from uh, down south. We had gone to a movie called Doctor Shivago, and it it was it was really the the times and the struggles they went through in that movie was probably one of one of the movies that I I preferred. What is? Do you have a favorite game that you like to play? Well, I'm not good at 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 uh, uh, games or card games, and so uh, I can't pick out one of those. But uh, uh, I guess just playing out in the yard with the kids, playing ball with the kids. Is, is you know is is one thing I get picked. I I know I I could never join in on and 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 be serious about table games. And so I'd have to pick yard games. You know, and playing ball with the kids was always always fun. I just in solitaire. Oh, <laughs> solitaire! Yeah, you know, boy, you really hit the nail. Uh, yeah, I I play solitaire to the to the point of aggravation. Uh, a friend just can't understand how I can sit and play that game, but I, you know, it just uh, for some reason uh, for me it relaxes me to the point where I can just forget about everything and and just play that game. And I I play it when I eat. Um, I play it when I'm uh, when I watch TV. I I don't watch ads, so I play it instead of watching ads. And I I, I have it with me all the time. It's right at my uh, where I eat, and so it's always within in reach that I can play it solitaire. I don't know how it got how it got started. Somebody. Somebody years ago bought me a solitaire game, electronic solitaire, and I, I before that I was always playing it with cards, you know, solitaire. But then when the electronic game came, and it was so fast, and and then it turned out that the card game was kind of boring because it took so long to get uh, to get through what you were trying to accomplish. But uh, my challenge is is to see how many. How many games I can win in in a, in a certain period of time? <laughs> what What's your current record? Well, I I don't know. I keep I keep a, uh, I've gone through about oh, four pieces of paper, uh, of about four lines across the paper and about uh, ten lines down or fifteen lines down. I don't know how many times I've gone through that. And um, I don't know if that can be called a record, but I, I, uh, the fastest, uh, fastest time I've had is uh, well, the, the uh, electronic game has either uh, you deal one card at a time or three cards, and of course, the one card at a time you can win more often. I've, I've won uh, a number of times on one time through, and. Uh, that that's kind of challenging to me. Um, 
my my old game was getting a little worn out, and and Fran had Denise go buy me another one, and boy, this one is. And the other ones were you can almost figure them out uh, how often you were going to win or how it was going. But this one, boy, it is different. It never does the same thing twice, and it could one time you could win. Uh, on five times around, next time it would take 20 sometimes. I remember one time I played the th three out, it took me a day and a half to win one game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know whether that makes sense, but it, it's kind of challenging to figure, you know, and there's no brain uh, power involved in this, you know, it's just uh, repetition things, but but I like to think that uh, there there's some things you have to do right in order to win, but but uh, it's nothing like chess or or uh, playing playing pool or or poker. But uh, it's fun, fun for me, and maybe it's because I never never was um, um, excited about playing with with uh, partners and, and group. And I, I I just love to do this little thing by myself. <laughs> Selfishly do it by myself. Solitaire. Okay. <laughs> do you remember who the most interesting person you've ever met was? Well, I, I would have to think back when I was in the Army and I, I wanted this um, this early, early release to, to uh, go home and help the folks with their ranch. And uh, I, I did go to Washington to get uh, our, 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 our California senator and local congressman to, to uh, help me with that. And uh, I think that's as, uh, you know, as, as uh, high people I, I'd met, you know. And then uh, uh, when we came back on furlough once, uh, I, I was I was in the plane coming from Virginia. Well, actually, you'd leave from Washington D.C. with another uh, gentleman, and they lived in in Castaic up in the in the Ridge Route, and uh, uh, his he never married, but. His bro he lived with his brother and, and sister-in-law and niece, and uh, that niece uh, married into the family of the, one of the largest farming companies in California at that time. In fact, it was the company that far, uh, had the property that uh, Magic Mountain was, was uh, built on. And uh, so I was invited to the wedding, and boy, I didn't realize, man, so some of the the highest known people in California were at that wedding and it impressed me so much that I was sitting at a table talking to these ultra wealthy people and they talked to you like you were just you know one of them and I thought gosh I've met people that I thought were wealthy but I could look back and say, well, they were climbers, you know, they were trying to be wealthy, and they would give you the impression like they were everything. But but uh, I met uh, one of the richest people from Coachella Valley. In fact, he he raised carrot, and he was he was known as the carrot king, you know, because he was 
he had so much and and just other being that they were she married into this farming family there was a lot of large farming that was there so so I was kind of you know impressed the fact that uh, Fran and I had known people that you know we thought were wealthy <laughs> when you compared those people there were just uh, nothing so those are the kind of people that I I thought I met that were were outstanding you know the senator and the congressman and then these these type of people do you remember your, their names? No. Okay. Oh, you, I knew the names of the Congress. Uh, the congressman was Bernie Sisk. He was a farmer from the West Side. He was our our congressman for our area. And the, the senator was William Nolan. And and we talked about it before. William Nolan was probably the most powerful um, uh, non-presidential person in, in Washington at that time. So I got... I had um, met, I thought, met some really, and they, they talked to me like they really, you know, wanted to help me, so I was, I was fine with those kind of people. What is something that you're really bad at, no matter how, how hard you try? <laughs> probably, probably a lot of things. Something that? something that he's really bad at that no matter how hard he tries that that in boy I can't just pick out one thing as so many things that I'm not good at that uh, uh, I probably I, uh, handling probably handling criti critical situations that I'm I'm really not as good as I, I sh should be, you know. At, um, uh, you know, when you you do so many things wrong in your life and you can't, it's hard to pick out one thing that's... that's uh, <laughs> what would you say are a couple of your pet peeves? Oh, pet peeves. I, I think I mentioned that before as I... I have I, every walk of my life I've been in. I met people who really thought they were better than they actually were, you know. And I'd always uh, call them, uh, and I said before that I I always said they they were on an ego trip, but it really disturbs me when people uh, try to give everybody the impression how how uh, you know how lucky they are to meet them and how how lucky everybody is to have them around. But I I really. Uh, I, I guess you call that a, a pet peeve. I, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it, it disturbs me to to be around people. And I've been in every walk of life. I've been in in, in high school, in college, in churches, in churches functions. I've been in in athletics, and and it really it, it really bothers me. And it tend to have a, a really. Uh, Poor attitude of those people when you get to the point where I, I my my bad point of of, uh, of wanting to uh, uh, judge people, you know that's a word in the Bible that you're not supposed to do. But I guess I don't know if you call it judging or or uh, uh, preparing yourself to a defense against them. 
but um, that always bothered me, you know, to know that, that be around people that that gave you the superior attitude, even though you didn't think they 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 deserved it. Can you name three things that you own that mean the most to you? Well, I don't own my wife, so I can't name her. But um, what, you, what was the question? Three things that you own that mean the most to you. Well, the ranch always meant a, a lot t to me, you know, uh, and the table to be able to uh, go through the times and be able to to hang on to it. Uh, that that was one of the things. Um, <laughs> that little coyote tractor boy, I know it, Darren doesn't agree with me, but I, I, I just loved that tractor. I thought it was the, the best purchase we made. It was a, it was a, a, a mid-size. Our other cab tractors were, were larger, and this was a mid-size tractor that you fit in. You can do little things and medium things with and 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 I thought it was you know the best purchase that Darren and I made um, we uh, Darren has done so much better in purchasing things I think the, uh, the when I bought the the F-150 truck in 2010 and it was four-wheel drive that I thought that was a, a real good purchase you know we could go to the mountains we could go in the snow and and at the time when we still would go to the snow and uh, so I thought that was a pretty versatile pickup and uh, it was it was it was really good now I sold it to Darren so he has the opportunity to have something that he and it was it was actually six passenger, which most of our cars that we had at the time were only five passenger because they were SUVs. Unless you had that extended seat in the back, third row seat, you're you're usually confined to five passengers. So this one could always be made in a. So I noticed Darren, even though they just have five in the family, they take it when they go on trips and stuff because they put all their luggage in the back and and. Um, uh, and still, uh, all all five of them can sit in comfortably. I don't know what else I've done. Uh, purchased. Uh, uh, I guess little things that don't mean much, you know. But but those were the things that were uh, most important to me. Did you ever have a hero growing up? And tell who and tell why. Well, you know, I, I was such an avid baseball fan as as a youngster and growing up, and and um, uh, Stan Musial was playing with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he was probably the most uh, uh, ideal person I knew uh, because he could he could do anything, and yet he 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 would he would be. Uh, uh, you know, uh, really uh, treat everybody else uh, so genuinely. And uh, I, I just thought of someone who, who had his ability uh, that would play the game and, and uh, 
and enjoy playing it and and enjoy uh, having people enjoy watching him. That was one of the heroes. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I have I'd have to use my old coaches. The one of them, uh, Coach Warmerdam, and. Uh, uh, he, I, I guess at the age I first met him, I was, I was only 18 years old, and so that, that at, at that age, he was quite a hero to me. Do you have any additional thoughts or stories that um, you can think of about, about your life? Well, I, you know, I think of going through life and, and going through the phases and the stages from elementary school to, to uh, junior high and high school and then college and, and being able to uh, go into service and to enjoy each, each one of those phases of my life. I thought, I felt myself really lucky that I, I was able to do some things that not everybody could, you know, so that they enjoyed everything they went through. But, uh, and and uh, being drafted in the Army sh could have been a terrible thing, but it, I, it turned out to be very enjoyable for me because maybe the people that I was surrounded by. So uh, I think life has been good to me. I. I've enjoyed it. And I was fortunate to to uh, uh, find uh, <laughs> the the woman that I married had my children and grandchildren would be of superior quality, and uh, and actually, and in those days when she became a teacher, people really looked up to teachers because they they were an important phase into each child's life and and she she did a good job and was praised always praised by I'd hear students talking about her when I they didn't even know who I was you know and they'd always talk about Mrs. Bishel and that that made me feel good I uh, I met so many people in my life that I, I never dreamt that I, I could when I was growing up. Ever thought that I'd be meeting some of the people that I did and and enjoyed meeting them. Uh, uh, even 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 teachers that that uh, became friends while they were teaching and and that that was. Surprising to me that that you always felt a teacher was aloof and couldn't uh, talk to students, but I always had a good rapport with with them. That that was good in my life. I uh, I had my parents were very strict and, and very demanding, but I learned to respect that. And when the Bible says, "Honor thy father and thy mother." Even though some of the things that 
I didn't agree with. I, I knew that it, it was still their responsibility to, to bring me up in a way that it, I could be proud someday. And, and so uh, I had uh, lived near uh, one set of grandparents and, and we, we had good times together. I'd, I'd remember at night sitting laying on the lawn in in the dark and and uh, looking at the stars with my grandparents and thinking you know this was a it was a pretty good life we used to uh, <laughs> he'd bring a, a bucket of cow chips and he'd burn them for to keep the mosquitoes away and and we'd later and have a good time and then it turned out that uh, the couple that come from texas to help him with with their harvest would join us, you know, and they couldn't speak English, but um, you, you, you had ways to communicate without speaking. So we had a good time, and I was very young then, but, but I thought that was an impressionable part of my life. I, uh, I think when my, uh, uh, when my friend asked me to take him down to see his girlfriend, and I ended up. Uh, he ended up they didn't stay together but but then I met Fran and and eventually eventually we got together and and we're still there <laughs> 65 years later we're still there <laughs> when did you start getting into John Wayne Oh, you know, that, that, that was funny. I, I didn't even know John Wayne existed. He passed away in 1978, and I didn't start getting interested in John Wayne until about the mid-'90s. So it was, it was quite a while later, and it was uh, right after he died. There wasn't so much, but, boy, he started getting publicity, you know, like that in the 90s. And then Franklin Mint had, had uh, you know, and— the first thing I ever got was John Wayne's rifle, his um, .30-0 rifle, and uh, he had a self-styled uh, handle on the rifle because his hand was so big and he couldn't fit in regular loops in the rifle. So they had a uh, he had designed an extra loop, and and I got that first weapon, and and boy, that set it off, and then all of a sudden. I found out who John Wayne was. Boy, he was, he was, uh, and then I, you know, I got books and started reading and found out that he wasn't only a, a life on a screen, he lived his life like he, and of course he chose his films he wanted to do, so the, his films he wanted to do were always of patriotic Americans, you know, and, and tough guys, you know, because John Wayne was tough. And um, he played football for USC and then got, got uh, in fact, he had a scholarship playing football at USC. And then he, he uh, hurt his um, uh, shoulder uh, uh, body surfing in, in the great Pacific Ocean and lost his scholarship. So uh, if he hadn't done that, he might have kept gotten into another phase. But somebody gave him a job as a prop mover in the in the movies, and, and his first director, 
saw him, this big six foot four, good looking guy, and thought, what's he moving props for? You know, so he he trained him to be an actor and and didn't know that he would be one of the top stars someday. And and he was, he was probably the m most popular. So that that um, unfortunately, I I got in a little bit late, but. But um, he was well known by then and, and well publicized, so, so I got studies. Uh, I, uh, I felt fortunate that I, I did finally hook on to him. I have so many things that we were, we were when our traveling, we were in Winterset, Iowa, and that was his birthplace in winter. Little tiny, about a 600 square foot home in Winterset, Iowa, and they they uh, uh, bought the home next to that and made a museum out of it. And <laughs> we walked in that museum, and Fran says, first thing she says was, she says, boy, I think my husband has more things than you <laughs> By that time, I had quite a collection, you know. This was 2011, so I had already amassed quite, a, quite an election. And I had, I had so much stuff, you know, like I said, we had... Uh, stuff in the cabin that burned, and I had, uh, I still have stuff under the bed that hasn't been posted, and and uh, we're, our our room that I have it in is full. There's no more room for that, and so, uh, but I, I I don't know why I, but I I got interested at a point where uh, Franklin Mint had had him. Uh, uh, sending out, you know, once you buy something, and of course they deluge you with things they want to sell you. And and uh, uh, I I had every plate that was ever fired by Franklin Mint. I had every uh, miniature uh, glassed-in statue that was ever uh, formed. I had every uh, next-size statue. You know, I ended up starting to have everything that was put out, you know, and uh, it was, you know, at the time, you don't know how much money you're spending, you know, you just see it and you buy it, oh, it's only this much, you know, and then and the next one comes, uh, you know, next month, and, well, it's only this much, you know, and uh, three payments at only, you know, 30-some dollars a piece, well, oh, that's, you know, and then pretty soon you, you look in there and you think, wow, <laughs> there's a lot of money in it, you know, you've seen that cabinet, that thing is loaded. That was our children's um, trophy case because everything that they won in in high school, their their medals and trophies were in that, and and they had to vacate it to to make room for my John Wayne stuff. <laughs> it every every corner of that room is just about has something in it. But the cabinet was too bad because we lost. He lost. Yeah, I have probably 20, 20, 20 or twenty five things I lost up there, but, you know, that at least I got, uh, that was only a very minimal amount. What, would you say that you have a favorite thing that you've gotten over the years for John Wayne? Yeah, I, I think that rifle really, you know, was the first thing I got, and, and it, it, to me, it was the most outstanding. It was the actual size of the rifle, you know, so it, it, um, it, it, it made an impression on me that what, and the biggest impression was when he had to make that loop down so his hand would fit, and I thought, 
everybody else, every other actor was using that other, you know, could get in that guy. I didn't realize his hands were so big that he couldn't get in that, <laughs> that, uh, what do you call that, that tree? Yeah, the, it's because it's, it's a lever action. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. So it's the, it's the cocking lever. Yeah, the, and he, ha he couldn't get his hand in there. And so I guess when he did it, he would get it stuck, and then he was, you know, they're trying to shoot a scene, and he's still, <laughs> so he had a, he designed that loop that where, where uh, a Colt uh, found out that they started building all their rifles like that. Then uh, he, Ward Bond was his best friend at one stage in his life because they both. Um, had scholarships to play football at USC, and then they, uh, of course, he got hurt. He only played, I think, one year, and then Ward Bond finished out his career at USC, and then he got into the movies, and they, and he had Ward Bond in quite a few of his movies because they were they really were good friends, and. Uh, John Wayne was was an intelligent person, so if he wasn't an actor, he could have been in. <laughs> his his son wrote in that one book you gave me. He's, he said his dad tried to go to the Naval Academy and they they wouldn't accept him. And he said if he'd have gone to Naval Academy, he would have probably been the the uh, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know. And they said. Uh, he, he, if he'd have gone into politics as much as he'd have liked, he'd have probably been the president. <laughs> you know, it was like that. That's what his his son thought of him, such an outstanding, and his family had had uh, such praise of him in writing and and both. Uh, he he let he had them in a lot of his films, you know, and and then. Uh, uh, he had such an array of children. My goodness, he had uh, he, he had thirty-year-old kids, and he had a couple-year-old <laughs> kids too. In fact, the one movie he made, uh, his son played his grandson because he was so young, you know that. And John Wayne, you know, there was, that was you know, Big Jake. Uh, 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 yeah, when when he was kidnapped, he he was kidnapped, and this. And uh, and that that was that was that was quite a movie. Yeah, his little his little son played his grandson. That <laughs> was funny. But he had his his um, family in quite a few movies, so he he treated them. And it was it was uh, glorious. You know, when you gave me those books, I read them, and then I read them again this week. And boy, you know, it helps to refresh your memory and the things that. That were in the book, and boy, when people wrote about him, actors wrote about him, his family, every one of his his kids were right. You know how how he was as a father, and and a big, tough guy. You know this. He was six four when he, uh, two hundred and probably thirty or forty pounds. You know, and strong man, big old hands, and and yet he was this gentle, gentle father. When so. Uh, you know, I, I I looked at that and I thought, you know, I certainly wasn't a big guy or big hands, but but you'd like to be remembered as a good father, like, you know. I don't know what they're gonna say. You know, you you just think, well, I did I, I did the best I could. I think you're gonna be called that. Huh? You're gonna be called that. Yeah. <laughs> There's the old man. Do you have a 
favorite quote by him? Yes. <laughs> she doesn't lie. I keep. He it, his his favorite quote for me was, "A man's got to do what a man's got to do." And whenever <laughs> whenever she asks me to do something, I'll say, "A man's got to do what a." She says, "Stop saying." <laughs> well, I, I I use that every day. Every day, somewhere line. I'll I'll do that to someone, either the grandkids or or my kids, and I'll always say, yeah, a man's got to, that's what John said, a man's got to do what a man's got to But he, he had so many quotes, but that that one really stood out with me. It just, it hit me, and, and it'll stay with me till the, till the day I'm, I'm gone. Do you have a favorite movie of his? Well, you know, when you talk about 150 movies, I, it, it's... I think that's like the one that, where she was chasing. You yeah. know, one of them was uh, The Searchers, and uh, The Searchers was about um, a, 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 niece, a niece of his, his brother's daughter got kidnapped by the Indians, and nobody would go in to get her. But old John Wayne did, you know. He his character did, and and the way he went about it, and the way he, the the, um, the risks, you know, he had to take, and and how he he got her, and but she'd been, you know, kidnapped about five years, so she was almost indoctrinated into uh, Indian living, and she was scared of him when he, you know, came to get her, and he explained who he was, but but it the last scene shows him. Carrying her to her folks, you know, when he, after he had gotten her back. That was like one of his last movies, right? Pardon me. That was one of his last movies, right? Last. That was one of the last movies that he did. It was no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, no, that one could have been in the. Oh, maybe that thing of the, the cowboys. Yeah, that was later on. Yeah, and his last movie was The Shooters, where he played a man that was. Um, uh, had cancer and he didn't have cancer at the time and he he I think he died two years after this movie was made but he was <laughs> he was an old uh, uh, gunfighter that that um, came into this town and his uh, he was diagnosed with cancer and so he, he wanted a second opinion and his his friend was a doctor, and it, it was played by James Stewart, and he and James Stewart had a few films together, and they were friends. Uh, they were friends, uh, pers uh, you know, in private life too, and so it was ironic that he would been in his last film. Uh, Ronnie Howard was in that film, and he he had big praises of John Wayne acting, uh, you know, and here he was at the. He, he was barely moving too good because his cancer had gotten him. He already had uh, probably six years prior to that had, had one lung removed for cancer, and he had, he had been in the hospital for quite a while and, and treated. And then he had a movie right after that, uh, and he still wasn't fully recovered from his cancer surgery, and he played uh, a, a movie that four boys... Uh, mother had died, and he said that 
uh, her name was Katie Alder, and it was the sons, sons, sons of Katie Alder, yeah. And, and that, that movie, and, and it said when I was writing, reading the books, you know, it said that he was actually not able to walk very well because he was still recovering. And, and they said that wouldn't stop him. You know, he went on and made this movie, even though they tried to get somebody else to play his part. And he says, no, I can do it. But, um, and, and he had praise from other actors because he would do things in the set when he wasn't well enough to be, be doing them. You know, he had some injuries. You know, riding a horse all the time, you know, you do, do get injuries. And he, he was a... He was quite a horseman, uh, all all Western, you know. But uh, his his um, his favorite female actress, I think, was Marina Hare, and she she wrote things about him. Oh, she you know she praised him. That if Hollywood had more people, men like him, <laughs> she she had quite a compliment for him. Yeah, I wish I'd have known him. <laughs> He was only 72 when he died, and uh, uh, he was still, you know, doing, was still doing big, full, he was, at his peak of his career, he was making four or five movies a year. So, I mean, you know, when you think about guys making one movie a year, you know, he was, he was busy and he didn't, he didn't have to because he had, by that time he had plenty of money, and he got to the point where, where uh, people wouldn't, produce the movies that he thought should be. And so he finally uh, started his own production company and it was called Batchak. And from then on, he was producing his own movies. And, and he had uh, one movie that nobody wanted to pick up. And he finally, that's when he started Batchak. He, he made the movie as nobody thought it would ever go. And it became one of the more popular movies <laughs> because he, yeah, he had a sense, I guess, of making movies, and and he he turned down movies that he didn't think were right for the public, or right for his character, and and uh, he, he remember in in your book, it, uh, Mel Brooks tried to get him to play in one of his movies, and he said, oh, I don't, that's I don't want to do that raunchy part, and he he said. Uh, but I, but I'll, I'll be the first one in line to go see it. But he didn't want to play it because he, he didn't think the character was. Yeah, he had, he had uh, standards that were high. Uh, his, his uh, amount of patriotism was probably uh, for his station in life. You know, was magnificent. You know how he, he thought this was the best country and. And Ronald Reagan was, was a very good friend of his, Jimmy Stewart. Um, he had about four or five that were non-leftists in Hollywood that were his friends. But you had to be pretty, uh, pretty um, conservative. But he was, he was polite to uh, opposition. He, he wrote a letter to Jimmy Carter when he got elected, and he said, uh, he congratulated him, he said, and, and this is a letter from one of your opposition. <laughs> He, he let him know that it wasn't somebody that backed him, but but he did respect the office. And and now we're we're getting to Josh. We're getting to the point where even even the uh, president's office that you should respect, it, it it's hard to respect them. You know, uh, we listened to a a station on on uh, on MeTV that that it's a a, a a real conservative talk show, and. Uh, 
I, I'm not in favor of them saying it, but they don't even call him President President Biden. They call him Joe Biden. <laughs> you know, that's how much disrespect he's he's gotten, and and that's come a long way. When you asked me the other day about John Kennedy, you know, had had a great amount of respect from both parties, you know, but now we're gotten down to that nobody respects it anymore. And, and you know, uh, there's a reason for that. You know, you can't change your country from from the freedom and, and uh, uh, America that it was grown up to trying to change its politics just doesn't. Uh, and finally, uh, I think we found by this last midterm election that the people are finally turning around and finding out this new new uh, wave of, of uh, of leftists are not good for the country. And those people, and I, I'm thinking of the, the governor that won Virginia, and Virginia is, what, 70% Democrats or something, and he, he won the governorship, which means that they're starting to change their attitude about their own politics. So we might, we might get it back. We might get it back. China is fighting it, but... You know, it's amazing to me, uh, Josh, that a country is run by only, what is the uh, card-carrying communists in China, 3 or 4% or very low, and and they're ruling the country, you know, of, uh, the biggest populated country in the world, and and they, the people can't oppose them because, you know, you, <laughs> you want to stay alive, you don't say anything about your government. We were afraid that it was almost going to get that way here, but but I think we can still have a voice. Okay, thank you.